Welcome to Speaking Out. We're mainly discussing land rights and economic empowerment. Aboriginal enterprises in mining, exploration and energy. To talk a little bit about uh, Indigenous constitutional recognition. Those With Larissa Barrett. It's a fresh view coming on ABC Radio. You know, I wasn't very math, even though I'm six foot four, you know, so people expected me to be the boy boy, you know, like, g'day, mate. <laughs> Not my vibe. But as I've gotten older, perceptions have changed and stuff like that. Like, I was very surprised that when I went to, like, our net title meetings and I got on the board of directors, that a lot of my elders and my aunties and uncles on that voted me as the chairperson. So that was kind of the first time where I experienced that, like, my gender identity and my sexuality weren't a barrier. Rainbow Racism, First Nations Navigation of Biases in Queer Spaces. This is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. The annual Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras remains a dazzling display of pride, self-expression and championing of the LGBTQIA plus community. A recent hallmark of the event has been the increased visibility of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander members of the rainbow community. And while there have been significant developments in cultural diversity over the past 10 years, that hasn't always been the case for queer First Nations people in broader society. These issues were central to a recent online forum titled Rainbow Racism, First Nations Navigation of Biases in Queer Spaces. Hosted by Interpride, the event heard the experiences of those living at the intersection of being both Indigenous and part of the LGBTQIA community. Joining the conversation were First Nations Rainbow co-founder Russell Weston, artist and disability advocate Daniel MacDonald, social worker, teacher and disability advocate Ricky Spencer, former health promotions officer at the Victorian AIDS Council Damien Ralphs, Indigenous Liaison Officer for the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment Kayleen MacLeod and the 2021 South Australian NAIDOC LGBTIQIA plus Person of the Year Keenan Smith. Let's listen in now and we begin with Ricky Spencer, who shares her reflections on the challenges faced by queer First Nations people seeking employment opportunities. For me, there's been a number of organisations within recent years that I've applied. And as I'm finding my journey amongst my heritage and my birth mum and father, I have been struck by the number of organisations which do judge me on terms of whether they feel I'm an appropriate component to be within their organisation. As a transgender person who is pale-skinned, I am constantly being asked to, well, where are you from? Where is your mob? And I'm always having to prove myself. I've been overlooked for governance boards within Victoria, especially for the Pride and Transgender Victoria. And it does disappoint me that there is very few um, First Nations representations on many of our spaces. So for me, it's not just about myself being overlooked, but also in general, First Nations having a voice to be in those positions. Wow, that's really interesting. That, yeah, it has a huge impact. That's amazing what you're involved in and what you've been through. Thank you for sharing. Now we'd like to move on to the second question, Ricky. Do you feel that was um, equitable opportunities for First Nations queer representations within queer-led spaces? And can you elaborate from your own intersectionality? I guess I should say that 
being someone who's now uh, 53, who has a number of invisible and lived disabilities, where I, my health is greatly impacted by my mobility and by my gender uh, affirmation, although I've applied for over 50 positions and I'm qualified to teach in both primary and secondary school spaces, uh, I've been sort of advised that because I am seen as a risk within the school, that they can't guarantee the safety of myself or for the students and their parents, which has sort of made that space more likely that how can we ever change that spacing to allow more and more people who are transgender and First Nations to be in leadership roles within the school. There are other spaces too that I feel that um, we don't get as much of a space to say our opinions, especially in political spaces in Australia, where we're not supported in taking on leadership roles. And we're always having to question as to why we are where we are. And for someone like myself, who is from the stolen generation, I did not have a choice to be removed from my parents. And because my skin isn't as dark, I'm always being having to ask in all spaces, well, are you really who you say you are? So I'm always having what I'd call a fractured identity, that I'm always having to almost have to wear a label on myself as to represent who I am. So for me, I don't feel there are enough opportunities for our community. We are always having to fight for any space or hearing about any opportunities through third-hand voices. And a lot of the times, many of us don't have the supports put into place to help us lead and be in positions where we can direct resources to make sure all our queer black mob are supported, especially brother boys and sister girls living with disabilities. That's uh, very powerful. And thank you for your answers. That's really made me think about things. So I'll move on to the third question because it probably is linked to the second. And do you consider the Australian peak bodies who advocate for queer rights provide the same amount if representations for our First Nations communities? It's really difficult to answer that because coming from a lived experience and everything that we see perpetuated in the media, whether it be print or digital, does seem to always be focused on white privileged spaces and binary spaces and, dare I say, youth spaces. So when you are older, when you are trans or gender diverse, whether you are living with a disability, all these impact on your voice in terms of are you being heard, are you being represented, and most importantly, do you have a space to make a change in the community? Many of us are still waiting to have an opportunity to make some effective change, but we always still are waiting to get someone to give us permission or to, to lead us onto that glass ceiling, what I call the rainbow ceiling, which is still in Australia very much threaded amongst white privilege, cisgendered, gay, lesbian and uh, gay men and until we can kind of lift that space and have more diverse brother boys sister girls and even dare I say leading campaigns whether it be at Mardi Gras as a prominent people and older uh, trans masculine and trans feminine people maybe with disabilities 
till we move away from that projected cisgendered privileging uh, ways of seeing, then I don't feel that we have really moved on. And I still feel that there is still only tokenism when it comes to supporting us in our journeys through that space. So I would have to say to that question, no, we do not get enough representation. And my evidence would be to anybody listening, just Google the boards all around Australia and see how many people do identify as First Nations Australia uh, within in, in this country, how many of those in, in, in queer spaces, are they brother boys or sister girls? And I would even say even fewer. And even out of that, how many have a lived disability or invisible disability are there? And again, I'd say even fewer. So until that is addressed, ableism is rife within this space and queer space, unfortunately. Just Thank quickly, you. the fourth question. What experiences have you had from within our own First Nations queer community? that have made you feel excluded? And I've mentioned on this briefly in the beginning, and it's been where I've had to quite a few times having to, people would ask me, well, where mob are you from? And why don't you know? And then it's, again, I have to explain that I was born in, 19, in the late 60s. And in those days, as people would know, um, religious privilege was very much the space where things could be changed. Documentation can be forged. And for many of us, we didn't have a choice, as I mentioned, about being removed from our parents. We are the product of perhaps love that may have taken place and I have a time and space when Indigenous people were highly surveilled and scrutinised. And if you were, for whatever reason, seen deemed as unfit over the time of the policies, you were removed. We didn't have a choice. And as a result now, I pay the consequences because even within my space, I am either seen not black enough or not slim enough or too old, um, disabled and it makes me sad because all I desperately want is to connect. All I desperately want is to be with my mob too and feel a part of the community that I feel I've missed out for over 45 years. So for me, it's a sadness in my heart, still looking for my birth mother and father and still having a branch there for other people to accept me within my beautiful black queer community. Very heartening there. Thank you for your story. So uh, one more question, Ricky. Uh, what would you like to envision for our queer First Nation community within the next five years? The thing I have to say is the clear word, uh, visibility and representation in all spaces. We have the right to be seen and heard. We come in all shapes and sizes. We come in all shades of black. We have a beautiful culture that's been here for thousands of years. And yes, queerness has been around since the beginning of time. And it's so important that we acknowledge that we have been here and that we are represented. And I dare, dare I say that we are allowed to be in positions and embraced to be in leaderships and governance roles. And I truly hope that within five years, within this space, that we will see more people be on peak body CEOs, um, that we have brother boys, sister girls being in leadership roles and seen as great role models, not just for our uh, 
Black community, but also for all queer communities, and that they feel embraced with our journey and our leadership because queerness crosses cultures, but it's only the social structures and power that stops people from getting access to resources and services. And this is something we must change. We must break down that privileging of queer spaces and really do allow for us to have our voice because we do have a lot to offer and we have a lot to offer in governance spaces. So now I'd like to say thank you answering all those questions and now I would like to ask the same questions to our other panellists and see what your answers are. So go ahead, I'd like to ask Keenan, can you recount a time when you personally felt that your voice was not heard? or you were overlooked for a governance role within the queer community? Yeah, so I got involved in student politics when I started at university. Also, when I first came to Adelaide, you come here, you leave your community where you're kind of misunderstood because you're queer, also you're non-binary or of a different gender outside the binary. And you expect when you come to these larger spaces in the cities that you would feel welcome. It's it's, it's about a community of inclusion. And then you slowly realise that racism also <laughs> exists in the LGBTQI plus community. So when I came to Adelaide, I thought everything was going to be kumbaya. You know, we're going to be all deadly and stuff. But then you slowly realise, or quickly often, that that's not the case. And that your insights as a First Nations person and because you're looking at things not just from one lens, but from multiple lenses of disadvantage. Um, and that's often overlooked or not even considered or ignored. And that often the queer community likes to blur the lines between, well, from my experience, gender, race and sexuality. It's often they equate being queer to being First Nations or Black. And it's like, well, no, why, why are you blurring those lines? You don't have the same experience as I do. Imagine being a person of colour of First Nations and being queer or non-binary or trans, you know, like often in regards to governance roles, I don't think there's that understanding of why do we need our voices heard in, in these positions. I think it's often a role where they're wanting it, they're purely out of tokenism or because they're seeing that other organisations are doing that. But I don't think there's a genuine understanding of why do we need First Nations voices here? Second question, do you personally feel there are equitable opportunities for First Nations queer representations within queer-led spaces? And can you elaborate from your own intersectionality? Yeah, so like I was saying with the previous question about organisations that have roles dedicated to First Nations representation, or when you have organisations that don't have that, so you campaign or, or you petition to have that space in those areas, often like when they apply for funding from these funding bodies, like in my experience, they kind of just want the quick answer there and then. And then there's an assumption that as First Nations people, we're all the same. And we have, you know, like we do have shared experiences and we have obviously, I guess, perspectives that we both share, but also our communities aren't the same. Our experiences are different. So often when I go into these representative roles or roles that organisations have asked me to join, I, I start off with that by saying, look, I'm not... I can't speak for the whole of South Australia, but I can speak from a shared experience. But also, I'm not here to give you some kind of band-aid solution answer, you know? Like, And it's often what plays out in the mainstream as well, like when it comes to looking for solutions to Indigenous problems. They want some kind of quick fix answer, and it's like, well, we're also dealing with centuries of disadvantagement, trauma, and stuff like that. 
and we're not going to get to an answer by ticking a box or by some little, I don't know, tokenistic position that you're going to give me that's often not paid or underpaid. So I think these organizations that are wanting to represent or have our inclusions also need to start looking at the culture within these organizations, looking at what do we do that can come across as toxic or racist, you know? And, and start from there as well, because if they want us in these places, well, these places also have to be culturally safe for us and come from a position where they're actually there to help uplift us, not just have us there because they're going to tick a box, because I won't be a part of that. I'm not ticking a box for no one. You know, I don't have to make you feel comfortable. It's been 230 bloody years of this shit. I don't need that. So moving on, do you consider the Australian peak bodies who advocate for queer rights provide the same amount of representations for our First Nations communities? No, <laughs> well, not in my experience. Also, I guess I live in a regional city like Adelaide, so often when it comes to the queer space and what's going on nationally, Adelaide's kind of a bit behind or a bit excluded. I'll start with that. But also, I'll go on to when I won the um, LGBTQI plus person of the year at the South Australian Network Awards. That kind of got me thinking, like, what is being done in this space in other states and territories? Do they have that, like, that award or that recognition at NAIDOC as well? And, and there's not, not even on a national level. I guess we're seeing from different states and territories that us as First Nations LGBTQI plus community, we often aren't recognised or our achievements aren't recognised or our achievements and stuff like that, which is very important. And so we're, we're being excluded, I guess, on that front from our First Nations communities. But then also, when I won that award, I was thinking, so what other queer organisations here in Adelaide, like, what are they doing? And are they going to approach me, I guess? Because I shouldn't have to approach them as, like, speaking about, I guess, feasts where they have, it's obviously, like, Adelaide's queer festival or what a, I don't know, celebration. I think going on in the future that someone that wins my award this year and going forward should have some kind of ex officio position in that so that it's honouring or acknowledging our achievements and that because my award is elected by the Aboriginal community so it's a community representative role as well and I've had the honour of sharing this award with two of my other sister girls Charlotte and my sister girl brother boy um, Zachariah you know so very prominent people in the queer community in South Australia so I'd like to see that as well I don't know it's just it's hard because you're still having to educate these queer spaces, racism, also racism of First Nations people because it started since day one when the Union Jack was planted here. I don't know. I don't want to be negative and stuff like that, but also we have to acknowledge what's going on and we have to talk about that, you know, so we can actually get somewhere. Not me having the same conversations every year, you know. It's tiring. What experiences have you had from within our own First Nations queer community that have made you feel excluded? I guess not necessarily within the First Nations queer community, but I guess the wider First Nations community. I guess growing up, um, I, I'm later in my 20s, so this is before RuPaul's Drag Race, a bit more mainstream. <laughs> and I don't want to talk about that show a lot, but I feel like that's kind of brought a broader understanding to some of these white followers as well about LGBTQI stuff. But anyways, um, I was lucky that when I came to Adelaide, I kind of met other queer First Nations mob and we kind of formed a little collective and that was kind of our safe space and we navigated through, I guess, white queer spaces. But growing up in the country, I guess because I was different from the other boys, I wasn't a boy boy, you know, like I wasn't going on dates and shit like that with girls or 
you know, I wasn't very mass, even though I'm six foot four, you know, so people expected me to be the boy boy, you know, like, g'day, mate, <laughs> not my vibe. Um, so I had that growing up. But as I've gotten older, I guess perceptions have changed and stuff like that. Like, I was very surprised that when I went to, like, our Netta title meetings and I got on the board of directors, that a lot of my elders and my aunties and uncles on that voted me as the chairperson to, to run on out of title, you know, like I was like, oh, okay. So that was kind of the first time where I experienced that, like my gender identity and my sexuality weren't a barrier. And I guess not everyone has that experience either, you know, so I don't want to say that for everyone. But for me, I was like, okay, so like our mob's perception is changing. Like, I guess we have that history of being indoctrinated for Christianity. So when it comes to having conversation with my mob and they tell me that my gender or my sexuality goes against Christianity, I think because Christianity was forced on our people and we come from something much older, I support them in their choices, you know. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I've had pretty good experiences so far. Obviously, I said the early part growing up, there was a bit of, you know, I don't know, like a bit of negativity and stuff like that from a lot of them especially the males. And I want to give praise to First Nations women in our community because often when it comes to queer mob and LGBTQI mob, they often are the ones there for us and uplifting us and pushing us through. And, and yeah, so that's my experience anyways. So last question for you, Keenan. What would you like to envision for our queer First Nation community within the next five years? I definitely want to see other states and territories and even the National NAIDOC Award have a category for LGBTQI plus person of the year. I think it's very important to have that recognition and our achievements honoured, or not honoured or acknowledged at least, you know. I guess at the moment it's only South Australia and Victoria that I know of that are doing those awards. Also, I want to see more opportunities for mob that don't live in the metro areas, you know. Because I often think about the mob left back home or in those country regional areas and every community that every Aboriginal community and Torres Strait Islander community you're going to go to, that's more than likely always going to be someone like myself or the other like or other panel members here today, you know. There's always going to be someone like us. And I'd love to see more inclusion of them mob going forward in the future, you know, because often we're forgotten about out in the community, you know. You know, unless we come to Adelaide, and often a lot of us choose to, have to come, not to Adelaide, well, not Adelaide, but choose to come to metro areas for opportunities for support and for finding our community. But then we realise there's racism over here, so we build our own little communities, you know. I guess because I come from that background also, you know. But also, I just like to see more inclusion also from our own First Nations communities for LGBTQI plus mob. Like I was involved with our um, Aboriginal peak body here in South Australia through getting the ramp for us getting rainbow tick accredited. And from my knowledge, we're the only health peak body for, for state and territories in Australia that, that have gone and done that. When I looked at other peak Aboriginal health bodies, there was no one, um, there was nothing about about LGBTQM on their websites or even even including us within their websites or practices or promoting this to their um, allied health services, you know. I think that's also a very important thing as well. The more and more that we start normalising this and talking about this in our communities as well, will make it a lot more safer and better for us, especially for our mental health and cultural inclusion, you know. Speaking out with Larissa Barron. The knowledge, the culture, the arts, the language, the law and customs of Indigenous people. On ABC Radio. This is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. You've been listening to Keenan Smith, South Australian NAIDOC LGBTQIA plus Person of the Year for 2021. He was speaking as part of the online forum Rainbow Racism, First Nations Navigation of Biases in Queer Spaces. We'll bring you more from the conversation shortly, but right now some music from the artist Moju.
That's Moju with Into These Feelings. Let's return now to the online forum, Rainbow Racism, First Nations Navigation of Biases in Queer Spaces. We'll pick things up with Indigenous Liaison Officer for the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment, Kayleen McLeod. So for me, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit on a number of boards and participate in um, community groups and a lot of the work that I do 
um, in the public service. And it just still baffles me today that we're still dealing with discrimination and stereotypes and, and homophobia. So, you know, th- there was instances where, you know, I've had to sit and, and endure people giving their personal opinions about Aboriginal people and, and our cultures and our processes and protocols. And it was just, yeah, absolutely baffling to me. And and me being me was not one of those people to sit back and, and let that slide. So, you know, I had to voice my opinion and, and talk about that kind of mindset and how people are still, our people still having to deal with these kind of attitudes. Even now in 2022, it's just unbelievable. Um, in terms of governance roles within the queer community, I've been um, lucky in those spaces that the people that I have been engaging with have been um, very respectful and understanding about um, my views and my life experiences and, and I'm always happy to share those with people. But I will, as a strong Aboriginal person, will not stand for that kind of behaviour. Uh, we'll move on to the second question. Do you personally feel that there are equitable opportunities for First Nations queer representations within the queer-led spaces? Uh, yes, so just following on from what uh, Ricky and, and Keenan flagged a little earlier, I, I would love to see a lot more diversity and inclusion, um, especially across the rainbow space. You know, we want to make sure that um, everybody's represented so everybody gets an opportunity to have a seat at the table and contribute and uh, put forward their their ideals and their life experience. I would also like to see more equity around regional and rural reps, giving them the opportunity to have a say because, you know, I feel that it's really top-heavy when it comes to kind of representation from metro areas. Um, me coming from a small Aboriginal community myself, I would like to see, you know, myself reflected um, from people in the regions and in the rural areas. I also think that, um, you know, having that diversity and inclusion also encourages a lot more of um, our people and especially the queer community to, to want to engage. So I, I think that if there was more focus on those areas in the queer-led space, it would be much easier for um, people to want to put their hand up and be engaged. Interesting. That's so true, Kayleen. It's so true. Do you consider the Australian peak bodies who advocate for queer rights provide the same amount of representations for our First Nations communities? Um, personally, I don't feel that there is enough representation. I think there needs to be more emphasis put on um, making sure that our Indigenous First Nations queer people have a seat at the table. Um, I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen in my experience a lot of peak bodies and organisations doing ticking box exercises, you know, where they'll either reach out to either specific individuals or not really go out to the community to consult and have meaning, meaningful consultation with communities. So they have that on the ground kind of representation. Also I'd like to see that, you know, there's more options for, like I mentioned before, our rural and remote and regional people being given the opportunity to participate. What experiences have you had from within our own First Nations queer community that have made you feel excluded? Well, you know, I've had a couple of incidences. Um, the main thing that I feel um, that is really kind of hard to deal with is that there's a lot of lateral violence within our community. 
you know, it's it's hard for us as individuals being Indigenous and queer and 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 trying to either pave our own way or or make space for for our other mob to feel safe and and feel like they're validated and they're equal. So it's hard when we're in amongst our own people that we're we're dealing with this kind of shredding of each other, and it, it really breaks my heart. Um, I'd like to see more effort made on made into like us being able to share experiences, share knowledge, share the space, especially the space, because there's there's a, an opportunity for everyone to be able to contribute and it's not really owned by a central kind of space or central group of people. It's something that needs to be addressed for all of us. So what would you like to envision for our queer First Nation community for the next five years moving forward? I would like to see like a lot of community organisations or Indigenous organisations being able to, to work together. Um, there's so many different areas that we need to, to address. So if we could work out across the space, you know, how we can make that happen. Um, I'd, all, I'd like to see like more culturally safe spaces created, culturally safe processes in the way that we, we engage with each other. But I'd like to also have an opportunity for representatives from all over Australia. Uh, that's my vision. I'd like to see that happen, um, and also that as as Indigenous people and First Nations people, that we address um, you know specific things that happen around policies and 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 areas that affect us. Like you know we're currently dealing with areas like the Religious Discrimination Bill, which you know when you think about it, actually affects all of us. Um, outside, not just the religious space, um, you know, areas around issues we're dealing with racial profiling and, and discrimination and, and homophobia. So I'd like to see us as a people try and work together and try and figure out how we're going to address these things. That's deadly, Kayleen. Thank you so much. I'd now like to move on to the next Thank person you. we have on the panel. It's Damien. Ralph. Um, hi, Damien. So I've got some questions for you. Can you recount a time when you personally felt that your voice was not heard or you were overlooked for a governance role within the queer community? Yeah, I think this um, has happened a lot. I mean, there's uh, I've, I've been fortunate to, you know, uh, be able to given a lot of opportunities to participate, but often it's like kind of like Keenan said this or, or Ricky said, there's that ceiling point where you get to and it's like you're good enough to be on a committee or a, a working party or an advisory perspective. But when it comes to the board members or the chairperson, dare we say, or the, you know, the top tiers then, or the CEO positions, then there's kind of a stopping point where all of a sudden it becomes, this is not an Aboriginal identified position. So why would we want someone who presents from that perspective? And I've been fortunate in the past to go into roles that were non-Aboriginal specific and and through those roles I've been able to incorporate a lot more having come from that different perspective to go, hang on, what about this mob and what about this these people and what about, you know, um, people with a disability and increase, what about the elderly, what about the young people, you know, and bring that perspective because I'm not just coming in trying to think of, I'm just trying to make sure blackfellas are included. I'm like, well, blackfellas aren't included, so who else isn't included here? And one of the things that annoyed me the most was things like when you're told you're not grassroots enough, you don't live on your country, so 
why would we give you a role uh, outside of your country but also on your country? So you're kind of caught in this middle space where you can't get a job home but you can't get a job anywhere else because you're in that in-between space. So you kind of just keep climbing the ladder hoping that, you know, you can help where you can help. Um, but sometimes it feels like, yeah, they are definitely overlooked and, and not heard. And the other flip side of this is when you are heard or when you are given these roles, you're probably one of the only people or, uh, and then you become quickly burnt out because all of a sudden everyone wants to know the answer from you and everyone wants to know the, like Kenan said, the, the quick fix or the band-aid solution or, or the quick, they need an answer now, now, now. And all of a sudden you're being pulled apart and, and you can't be supported to maintain that. So uh, I think there's a, there's a flip side to some of it. Like we need to be able to not only not over, be overlooked, but be supported when we are given those opportunities to not burn out. I agree with you. We need to do more integration, more networking together, and I think it's true in Australia all over. We need to look at that more um, clearly. Um, do you personally feel that there are equitable opportunities for First Nations queer representations within queer-led spaces, and can you elaborate from your own intersectionality? Being privileged enough to just be a cisgender gay man, as weird as that sounds, having a privilege, um, but you know, I get some of these things, but as I said before, it's always like, but what about the trans mob or what about other other mobs? So, you know, we try. I kind of get a little bit into that between space where it's like, yes, we, we want, I get the opportunity or I get to speak, and, but then it's always like you're trying to make sure that because you're a representative of a whole diverse community and we take that seriously as, as a community, then we kind of get spread thin and we're trying to fix a system or a, a, a workplace or, or an organisation that is fractured and broken and, and then it's not equitable. It's, it's, rip, it's kind of dividing it even more and more and more until you feel like you're a minority within a minority. So um, I feel like, especially like Keenan said, coming from a smaller state, it tends to a lot be based on, population or how many particularly from festivals and stuff how much profit or how how many people will buy tickets from that community so it's not viewed as even though it's a community festival or a community event or a community organization it doesn't seem to come from that perspective we start to come from this how do we sustain rather than this is not what we're about from the first place interesting to hear Damien thank you and I agree brother um, moving on, I have another question for you. Question three, do you consider the Australian peak bodies who advocate for queer rights provide the same amount of representations for our First Nations communities? No, I think like we've touched on before, rural and remote are particularly outlooked at or not looked at uh, and brought to the table as much. Um, I was very surprised when I went home to my community that I'm often dealing with issues in community that I feel like I'm going back in time. I'm like, when I worked in sexual health, it was like um, we were dealing with certain things in the city that were way beyond the basics of what's going on in the country, you know, basic health promotion, basic information and, and literacy and education skills around all of those things. And the same thing with a lot of other aspects, um, you know, drug and alcohol. I did some drug and alcohol work. And when I went back to community, I'm dealing with things that in the city we'd kind of 
been working on for 10, 15, 20 years. And it's like, how are we leaving parts of our community behind? We should all be moving together in one direction at the same time. And a big part of that is the proportional funding. I don't think that we allocate enough funding. You know, we say we want a welcome to country. And then you look at the budget and the welcome to country is like $250 or 500 or a thousand. It's not, it's seen as to be important, but financially the amount dedicated to that is not equitable or not seen as, as is important. And then we go and hire, you know, or get people that are not even queer or not even thing, but seen as a pop icon or things like that. And, and it's, We spend tens of thousands of dollars in funding that, but we're not funding things that are important to our particular uh, community. So I I definitely think, no, that, and especially like Kenneth said and and others have said, if you come from a smaller community, there's no funding there, you're not sort of, and then you don't get a seat at the table. So it, it needs to be done equitably so that it's not just a city thing. Um, that is seen as everywhere is happening. And I guess we do that in a number of ways. Not just hosting events in the city would be a good start, is to start, you know, going out into the country and bringing city people to country rather than, you know, disadvantaging country people who have already got less opportunity. Um, but taking the events and the things to them would be, you know, a good start. So just moving on, fourth question, what uh, experiences have you had from within our First Nations queer community that have made you feel excluded? Um, I guess when you start to climb that ladder or you start to become in those positions where you are a representative of all of your mob, it's kind of um, then you're expected to do all these things. And when you get burnt out and, and you forget about people or you try, you know, you can't do everything for everyone, then you kind of get the, the you, you are the one then who has to hear from your own community. And I've had to hear from my community at various points, you know, that, you know, different, there wasn't any funding available or there was, um, it was marketed to a niche market or it was just for middle-aged gay men or, um, you know, cisgender lesbians. And so all the time we, we represent an entire community when we come to the table and our community holds us accountable. So sometimes that can be really hard um, to do, but I guess also um, trying to make sure that, when you are doing that, that you, I often step aside sometimes. I'll go, no, how about you get this person to give it a go? Or are you contacting this person? And then it's almost like your mind for your contacts and your resources. It's like, well, we don't know that person and we don't know those people. And, and do you have a contact number for them or do you have an email? And it's like, how about you go out there and actually engage with them and get them involved so that, you know, we're not as a community uh, as Aboriginal community and Torres Strait Islander within the First Nation queer space, then having to be at each other, we're going actually, you know, having to defend ourselves. And I think here in Adelaide, we are also quite conservative. So we try not to the best of our ability to step on each other's toes. We, we are a small community. We're like, um, you know, we don't want to do something without consulting people who have already done it before us and make sure that our thing is not, impeding on their thing uh just lastly we'll finish up with the last question here what do you damien what do you envisage envisage for our queer first nation community within the next five years we say safe spaces all the time and i 
meetings are here in the community. But we can clearly see that spaces are not safe for all of our community. And nowadays, we've, it's almost like if you're in a safe space, all of a sudden you're overrun by you know, a bunch of people getting married who are in getting engaged and they think that we're like a fetishized kind of uh, group of people that you can come and party with and have fun and it's like, hang on, you're encroaching on our safe space. You need to be respectful here uh, and not come in and try and make this all about your kind of a space. You know, nowadays we can't, there are spaces we can't go to because we know when we get there that there could be violence or there could be, um, it's such a small place that people will know each other. So confidentiality, all of those things. So I'd really like to see safer spaces that are actually safe for people that it needs to be for rather than trying to be this something it is not, you know. So a safe space is a big one for me, but also making sure people are at the forefront and making sure that there's a cross-section of those people. So not just, you know, someone like me, there's also someone young. I'm always saying that we need young people involved and that's hard because we need to empower young people and we, there's older people involved and we need to make sure that all the things that come with having older people involved are, are factored in. Um, you know, we can't just say we want all these people in, but we're only going to have one system to do that um, because that system doesn't fit everyone. It doesn't fit everyone's needs. We need to make sure that everyone is included and we do that however we do that, make it happen rather than making the excuses I agree with you, brother, definitely. Okay, and, and once again, thank you, Daniel. And I know your words um, will come through from your heart. Can you recount a time when you personally felt that your voice was not heard or you were overlooked for a governance role within the queer community? Well, really, um, about the people in the area, in the community, some of them, I think, with their attitudes, you know, sometimes with my own, uh, you know, community in the deaf culture, they're not aware of who I am and where I'm from. So I feel like I'm not comfortable with a lot of those people. It's, you know, sometimes embarrassing. You know, I want to connect and I want to represent and I can't be involved. There's no opportunities. You know, I, I, I get it. There's a limit. You know, you know, people put you down because, you know, most communities have, They've got their, you know, the civil rights of, you know, everybody of the LGBTQI and disabilities and the systems in Australia. So, you know, there's nothing really, you know, for civil rights. I find that it, it creates a barrier there. To the second question now, do you personally feel there are equitable opportunities for First Nation queer representations within queer-led spaces? And can you elaborate from your own intersectionality? Yes. Uh, because our, our First Nations um, queer communities around Australia has been very quiet. It's like we've been locked up and uh, don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of opportunities. There's, I think there's a lot of barriers. I think we need to show, you know, who we are. I, I think, you know, we have a lot of work to do, um, you know, that we are different and it's very important for us to have opportunities and, and choices and get everybody together and, you know, bring everybody together and brother, sister, doesn't matter who you are, what diverse backgrounds, everybody be involved. You know, we're all equal. We're all the same. We all have the same opportunities. And it's been a huge impact for me, actually. Do you consider the Australian peak bodies 
who advocate for queer rights provide the same amount of representations for our First Nations communities? Um, there was a time that I had an experience that happened to me. I was involved in a, a meeting. At that time, I was representing, I did a presentation, and most people, like, they sort of used my words and my ideas and, you know, moved, ran with it. And I thought, hang on, that was my suggestion, my ideas. And then later I found out I had a lot of good feedback and, and the businesses, but they sort of took my words and advice and, and you know, ran with that. So, and then, you know, I thought, well, we've got the funding, we'll, we'll use it and we'll, yeah, we won't include Daniel and what he had to say, but we'll use our words and move move forward with it. So, yeah. And then, yeah, sort of shared the floor and then um, basically didn't give me an opportunity to, you know, say what I wanted to say. And then I thought, oh, hang on, you, you've used my words, you've stolen what I had to say and where my ideas were going. And I thought, oh, that's great because it was my, you know, my my presentation, my talk, and I thought it was very important that, you know, First Nations people need to, you know, be established and we want to share our information. That's Okay. But I just found that these organisations were, you know, ticking the boxes once again. Um, what experiences have you had from within our own First Nations queer communities that have made you feel excluded? No, I haven't felt that actually. Um, because, uh, yeah, I'm always in Sydney and I'm always making sure that... Um, uh, I, I, I go to places and be involved and, and as a gay man I get out there and meet people so I don't feel like I've been excluded in the communities because I really make a point of getting out there and trying to bring people together so yeah I just I, I, want, I like to lift you up I like to lift everybody up and you know be part of the same group and yeah in our community and show who we are so I'm really you know energized in that area I'm really passionate, you know, there's, I don't feel like I've been disregarded. I feel like, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe people might, might, might not contact me and might, might maybe not see me. That's fine. I accept that. You know, you do what you want to do. I do my art and that's, you know, that's my joy. That's fine. Um, yeah, but I like to see everybody together. And the last and final most pinnacle question to probably someone on the panel who has a lot to offer the world, and that is what would you like to envisage for our queer First Nations community within the next five years? Over to you, Daniel. Actually, I have um, seen a lot of you on the panel and you've all said with the First Nations and disabilities on the board, there isn't those representations. So I'd like to see over the next five years a lot more of those representations because there isn't enough, it's not good enough. And, yeah, on the boards in, in those peak places. Yeah, it doesn't have, they don't have all the knowledge, those people who are currently sitting on the board. They don't have, you know the same knowledge as the First Nations people. So I think that, you know, Aboriginal people, Indigenous, um, you know, there's, there's there's white people, but I think we all have something to, to share. And I think if it's, you know, it hasn't had our First Nations people on the board. It's been the same old story. Let's move forward. Let's include those people and, you know, those diverse people to make a stronger and more valuable um, group that have the knowledge and Next five years, I'm really looking forward to really, you know, making this space a better space. I think it's time. Over the next five years, I'm ready. I'm ready. Those are the words of artist and disability advocate Daniel MacDonald as told through an Auslan interpreter.
You also heard from social worker and disability advocate Ricky Spencer, former health promotions officer at the Victorian AIDS Council, Damien Ralphs, Indigenous Liaison Officer for the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment, Kayleen McLeod, First Nations Rainbow co-founder, Russell Weston, and 2021 South Australian NAIDOC LGBTQIA plus Person of the Year, Keenan Smith. They were taking part in the online forum, Rainbow Racism, First Nations Navigation of Biases in Queer Spaces. The event was hosted by Interpride, the International Association of LGBTI Organisers. That's the show for this week. Join us again next week as we feature a tribute to trailblazers of First Nations activism as told by those who knew them best, their children. Speaking Out is produced by Trevor Dodds and Jay McAllister. You can email the program speakingout at abc.net.au and find us on social media via ABC Indigenous. I'm Larissa Berendt. 